Join Dennis Seagrave for Den at Ten. Well, hello again. It's Easter weekend. Lockdown has been easing just in time for us to be able to get out and enjoy the things out there, have a walk round. But having looked at photos over the previous few days, we're staying where we are. We're working in, in the garden. The weather's nice enough. We've done a bit of work in the garden, then sat out in the late afternoon sunshine. Put some new plants in. We've been to a couple of garden centres, picked up a few plants, done a few other jobs. But looking at the photos and the films I've seen of places like Penny Van, been there, walked up Penny Van, highest point in southern Britain, top of the Brecon Beacons, parked up at Story Arms and walked up. A great walk, great scenery. It was busy when we did it several years ago. Car parks were fairly full and the Snacks van was doing a busy trade. But the photos I've seen in the week with cars parked either side of the road or both sides of the road even traffic trying to flow between them an endless snake of people walking up the path not for me it was fairly busy when we were there but there was just odd little groups of families or odd people walking up not a continuous stream one behind the other Similarly with Cardiff Bay, we've been there. A great time we had. Several different jugglers and different acts and dance groups were performing all along the area in front of the buildings there. Enjoyable. Unfortunately, this last week it's been packed with thousands and thousands of people rubbing shoulders. Let's just hope as it's going to pass off nicely without any sudden influx of COVID or any other problems that will put us back to where we came from. So we've stayed out of the way, let things calm down a bit. We've got things planned for later in the year when hopefully people have got back more to normal and aren't all dashing off to be in the same place at the same time. But it's good to relax and spend time. I mean, Easter isn't what it was now. It's just a, a bank holiday. It's time off from work. Like I was talking at Christmas... The religious side of these things has long gone and gone into the past. There are even times when people don't understand what Easter was all about. I know some time ago, over an Easter period, some years back, somebody had texted in and saying, I'm confused, I'm puzzled. We, we are celebrating Easter and we've got chickens and the Easter bunny and we're doing things with this Easter bunny. 
and they said, what, what, has a, what has a rabbit got to do with the birth of Christ? And somebody just wrote back and said, what has Easter got to do with the birth of Christ? Easter is when he died on the cross. Anyway, I was doing something during the week and I thought, what a coincidence. And it made me think about coincidences. Only last week I was in the garage and I was looking at some books as I've got in my collection and I thought, oh, my daughter bought me that a, a little while back. I have read it before, but I thought I'll just have another thumb through it and refresh my memory on some of the things that are in there. It was uh, The Man Behind the Mask, a bit of a biography of Donald Campbell, the great speed record breaker of the 50s and 60s and I took it in and I started reading it and I read the first few pages and I'd actually picked the book up and started to read it on Donald Campbell, what would have been Donald Campbell's 100th birthday. I thought the years I've had that book and it's been around and I've picked it up to read it on the man's 100th birthday. It was a big news item at the time when Donald Campbell was killed at Coniston Water. January the 4th, 1967. I was still at grammar school at the time and I was in one of my exam years. So we had free periods where we didn't have a, a lesson or a lecture because we weren't doing that exam. During these periods, we used to go and do private study, either in one of the annex rooms in the old headmaster's house, or we could go into the library and get the books out and have a look at things in there and do some studying and some research. There were about five of us sat round a table. And the library behind the bookshelves had a corridor that took you through from the main part of the school to the annexes, as I've talked about, across to the old headmaster's office. And we were sat there in the morning, and my history teacher walked past and saw me sitting there. Now, he's always been fascinated by my surname. First thing he said to me was, was I related to Sir Henry Seagrave? Because he was a bit of a a fan of the record breakers, Donald Campbell's father, Malcolm Campbell, and Henry Seagrave, John Cobb. And he asked me several times during my career at school whether I'd done any research, was I related to Sir Henry in any way? I didn't think I was, and I still don't think I am, but... Anyway, he saw me sitting there, and he, uh, he diverted across the library towards me and I thought hello what have I done but he walked over and he's a ex-army man had that sort of voice 
and he said, just, just thought you might like to know Seagrave. Donald Campbell bought it on Coniston this morning. And off he went. Oh, right. What I didn't realise was the extent of the accident that had killed him. Zooming along at, they thought, over 300 miles an hour, the boat lifted at the front, shot up into the air, did a backward somersault and plunged down on its nose into the water and disintegrated and sank. It was such a fantastic piece of film that in those days at the cinema between the main picture coming on and the end of the B movie that used to be on before it in the good old days when you had two movies when you went to the cinema bit of a sort of a second-rate one, then the Pathé News and then the main feature film. Well, on the Pathé News that week, they showed the accident on the big screen. And I know people who went to the cinema just to see Pathé News. They weren't bothered about what was on. Didn't matter what picture was on, they just wanted to see this accident on the big screen. But that was the coincidence that started me thinking. What a day to pick that book up and start reading it. It's the same as meeting people unexpectedly. I've said before I met a man I used to work with up at Neptune's staircase on the Caledonian Canal just outside Fort William. I met an ex-neighbour on the coastal path going round to St David's Head in South Wales. Just before I got married, I was with some friends and we went for a drink. A pub I'd never been into before. And there in the corner were four of my former work friends from Lichfield. They'd never been in that pub before either. But there they were, having a drink. And we had quite a, quite a discussion, quite a reminisce. Makes you wonder, really, how such unlikely things happen so often. I've said before my daughter worked at a farm shop, the owner of which is the granddaughter of somebody I used to see bringing his sire horses to show at Oliver's show many years ago, late 50s, early 60s period. And she works there for them. That I only realised because my daughter bought me some beer from the farm shop as they sell and uh, lo and behold on the bottle was a picture of the guy with his shy horses. Now some years ago, as I've said before, I broke my leg playing golf at Scarborough. Slipped on the grass, fell awkwardly on my leg and snap. I don't think I've, I've said before that when I was recovering I had to go to the hospital in Lichfield for check on progress. And when I got there a 
a guy in the reception area showed me where to go. And it wasn't till I walked away, I thought he was on the phone when I went in there. But I realised as I went to go the way he'd pointed, he pointed with his foot. He hadn't got any arms. He was holding the phone to his ear with his foot. I told my dad about this when I got home and he says, yeah. I first came across him when he was a mechanic at Leavesley's. He says his dad was a, a dentist in Litchfield. But this guy had done all sorts, apparently. He'd driven little cars around a wall of death. He'd jumped off a pier and swum to safety to attract attention at a seaside resort. And my dad first knew him, he'd struggled to, him and his mate had struggled to get a wheel off a, a bike. And in the end, in desperation, my dad had took it across to the garage, across the road. He came back chuckling, he said, you know, he says, we've just spent an hour trying to dismantle this bike. He says, I've been over there and there's a bloke with no arms, done it in five minutes. Anyway, I had to go and see a specialist with this leg just to make sure it was healing and everything was going all right. And uh, luckily, there was one of two specialists I could have seen. And I saw the one with a better bedside manner, shall we say. I was lucky, really. I've heard different people talk about the other one, based in Burton, who was fairly short with people. I've heard several things said about him. Different people who have been there. One woman said she was having difficulty to walk when he saw her. He wasn't a doctor, he was a, a mister. A surgeon, specialist, more more senior than the doctors. But obviously the locals, when they went in, they called him doctor. He says, well, doctor, I'm, I'm, I'm having a job. I, I'm, I'm struggling with me to walk. And he just threw his shoes down the corridor and said, walking on those damn things, I'm not surprised, madam. Similarly, he told one person they ought to lose weight. Oh, doctor, how on earth can I lose weight? Stop bloody eating, was his response. But he was once, I'm told, caught short for an answer. He told one patient they ought to lose weight. And they went back at a later time when one of my dad's mates was in the next cubicle. And uh, this specialist was talking and he said, I can't understand why you've not lost weight. This is strange, you, you've come in and you, if anything, you're slightly heavier than you were last time you were here. I can't understand. Haven't you been, haven't you been following that diet sheet I gave you?
Oh, yes, Doctor, she says. I have it every day before me dinner. There was no reply that time. Now, as I say, I was lucky I didn't see this particular specialist because when I went for my last check to see if they could take the plaster off and see if everything was going okay, I was supposed to take some records with me, some medical records that they'd given me at Scarborough when I left Scarborough. Days before electronic stuff, so they couldn't send them over themselves to the specialist. They gave them me in a brown envelope and said, take those with you and give them to your specialist when they see you for the last time, when it's time to take the plaster off. Now, in my rush to get there, somebody else was driving me, obviously. I forgot to take some of these records with me. As soon as I realised, I sent this other person back to collect them, but they seemed to take forever, so I was called in to the, see the specialist before they got back with the documents. But as it turned out, they were quite happy. They didn't bother. They looked at it and said, yeah, that looks fine. We'll take the plaster off and see what happens. And as it turned out, I was fine. But I must warn people that I had a, what they called a walking heel in the bottom of my plaster so I could put weight on it and hobble about without damaging the plaster. It was like a little rubber thing that stuck out underneath as I could walk on. But when they cut the plaster off, you can't just jump off the table and run round. Your leg and foot just doesn't seem right. The ankle didn't seem right. There was nothing there to support it any longer. All the plasterers that held it in one place had gone. And my foot wasn't used to bending and moving and walking. I had to walk with a stick for a few days just to get used to it and get things moving again. Soon got right, soon got better. Eventually got back to footballing again. But it was quite a while in training and other things before I thought, ooh, I've got to go into a tackle with this. Took a while to get my confidence back. Then the first full match I played when I finally said, yes, I'm ready, and the manager thought I was ready, I went on and I, I played as one of the backs. And I was up against a lad that was built like a tank and for the first few times he came running towards me and I thought, I'm not putting my leg in there. But I did, after a few minutes, I tried and I came out the other side quite happy. And I just went from there then, no problem. Played for several years after that. As I said when I started this, I, I'd been doing some gardening this week. And it seems as though the bit better weather's caught everybody. Most of the neighbours have been out. One in particular has been working on a, a bit of ground across the road. Up the side of somebody's drive and around the front of their house. They've been very poorly for about 18 months and haven't been able to get out and do anything. And... 
this neighbour, her kitchen window looks out onto this bit of ground and she was getting a bit distressed every time she was working in the kitchen looking out of the window and seeing this mess of weeds and tangled foliage. So she'd set about sorting it out, digging it over and putting gravel down and stones and rocks, making it look more attractive without needing to do much work on it in future. Not having to replant it, reset it and such like. She called me over a couple of times. She'd found some heavy duty stonework in this, uh, the rear part of this garden. And she says, I want to put this amongst the gravel on the front. Can you give us a hand? So I, I manhandled a couple of large boulders over and put those in for her. A couple of days later, I carried some fresh bags of gravel out the back of another neighbour's car. Team effort, this. One of the neighbours is running backwards and forwards to the tip with the scrap and bringing fresh gravel. I'm unloading it. And then the other neighbours doing the groundwork and laying it all. I must admit, when I looked out of the window this morning as I was coming out to do this chat, that it's looking good, looking nice. Quite pleased with how, how it's turning out. There again, we've got to enjoy ourselves at the moment because uh, if everything goes according to plan, another week and uh, we'll have the footballers on the pitches outside again. The piece will be shattered. Football's bouncing across the garden, damaging the plants. Foul language being shouted up until 10 o'clock at night across the pitches. Floodlights on. Oh well, it was good while it lasted. We've had a few months of peace. Trouble is now it's coming round to when we can sit out. We won't have the peace now. It'll be mayhem again. But on the bright side, lifting of the virus restrictions, being able to get out and about, I'll be able to have fresh things to talk about. New places we've been, things we've done, memories as it's jogged, going out and about. More work on the canals, more railways, more trips out into the countryside, places I've not been before. Reminisce about places I have been before. I'm looking forward to all of that. Even I'm aware that I've got a little bogged down in these talks over the last few weeks. Nothing new, nothing different is inspiring much. I keep jotting down different things as they occur during the week. But we'll get there. Things will happen that will make me think of different events. I know that years ago it was always the thing in when I was in Litchfield that we had Good Friday off from work as well as the Easter Monday and Tuesday. 
because we were a cathedral city and the city council was involved, we used all of the Christmas, the Christmas, I've got it now, all of the Easter days to have time off. It all started with the Shrove Tide Fair, where the mayor had to ring the bell on the dodgems to signify the opening of it all at the beginning of Lent. Different processions through the town for different events. Whitson, we had the Litchfield Bower, where the mayor and the sheriff paraded along. Big sports day was held then in the Beacon Park after the parade. Taking part in the parade a few times, either with the scout band leading our section of the parade, or on a tableau on a lorry. We did, I think, three where we decorated a, a lorry and took that down there. Once we went as a set of circus acts with a dummy caged lion in a cage at the back, a couple of knife throwers dressed as Indian knife throwers, ringmaster, clowns, conjurers. We've tried it. We did one where we were in three-cornered hats, knee-length trousers, frock coats, with a swing and a decorated garden around us. Set of iron table and chairs, patio-type furniture. We had a real, we had several real bottles of wine that day with goblets to drink out of. I was told to be careful, one of the people I knew was, was in the crowd told me to be careful I might fall off the back of the lorry the way I was going. But we enjoyed ourselves and that's what it's all about. These different festivals, be they religious or not, they're always an excuse to do something else, do something to celebrate in different ways. And that's what we used to do. I don't know whether these things are still going now or not, but there was certainly a big event when we were there in the 60s and the 70s. I hope they're still there in some shape or form. We don't want to lose too many of these heritage things. They served us well and we grew up with them. I'd like to think that other people coming along have going to get the enjoyment out of all of that rather than sitting staring at a screen and pressing buttons with your thumbs. Anyway, I'll not go down that road. I think I've rambled enough for this week. Ta-da for now.